All right, we're live. Welcome back to episode eight of Stick Talk. We got our boy Joey Yoheim here. Did I pronounce that correctly? You got it right, bro. You got awesome. it right. One of the awesome. few people that's ever probably gotten it right. I few. did tell you, though. Few. <laughs> He's one of the default yeah. kings. He is a, you got like a little bit of cauliflower here we're rocking here. He's a okay. fighter, former <laughs> soccer star. I'll let you do a quick intro to jump into it. But uh, yeah, if you guys are on Twitter, you probably know about the default kings. Him, Gabe, and Jack run it. Awesome community. So yeah, I'll let you start from there. Yeah, man. My name is Joey Yoheim. I'm co-owner of Default Kings. We're a company that helps uh, men lose weight. Anywhere from 15 to 144 pounds is our biggest one. He's still climbing. So got a pretty broad range of, of weight loss. But um, I've been in the coaching space for a little over four years. I met Jack and Gabe about a year ago. We partnered together, and we've just been growing it ever since. So it's been an awesome little ride. I got a hot question to get us started. Oh, so. No we're also coaches, right? We run a yeah. coaching community. And the number one thing people will notice of, of all of us as coaches is like, you're young, right? Mm -hmm. And like, how are you as a, how old are you? 22, 23? 22. 22, 22. Yeah. So you're 22, we're all 23. So how are you as 20 something year olds uh, in a position to coach other people on how to get results? So how have you dealt with this mindset or this question? Because I feel like obviously the results are one thing, but just going into how you've dealt with that, uh, just in the business that you run? Well, it's a funny question because I think it's something that I definitely, when I got into the online space, struggled with more than maybe Jack and Gabe did because they were in it for a while, right? But the constant thing that we kept coming back to was the fact that like results do not lie. And our average clients like mid 30s to mid 40s. Yeah. So there was definitely at the early stages some friction, like what does this kid know, right? Yeah. But ultimately it, it does come back to what you're saying. It's the results because it gives us the conviction where it's like, maybe I am young, but obviously this has fucking worked for hundreds of people, so we must know something, right? And then it gives them the conviction and the belief in you. And it truly does, in my opinion, simply come back to results. Yeah, one of the things I really like about you guys is that it's not like, hey, this is the only way you need to be super strict. There's no margin for error. Yeah. You guys are always posting like, hey, you know, enjoying pizza. Having a couple beers with the boys. Super like, tactical. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> super tactical. But it, it's true because like, these people who hop on sales calls are probably like, oh, you know, what do you know? Like you're, you're young, you guys are in shape, your metabolism is probably fat. Like <laughs> I, I, I eat one piece of pizza and I blow up. When in reality, that's not true. It's because they just binge eat afterwards. Mm -hmm. uh, and you guys kind of talk about like that 80-20 rule. I've, I always see that on, you know, your guys' tweets. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, just the consistency of what you guys preach? Because I like how it's not, you know, hey, like this fad diet's the only way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think there's definitely legitimacy to the idea of like older guys saying, okay, my metabolism is going to slow down. Yeah, that's totally scientifically, scientifically correct. But the reality is when you're young, you can actually build that foundation. And it comes back to the simple stuff of building muscle now. You know, I put out a tweet the other day about how a lot of our guys feel like they've been trying to lose the weight since they were in their 20s. And I'm like, if you're in your 20s right now, like we all are, this is the time to build a foundation. So it's not as hard when you get older. Because scientifically, it simply will be, right? Your metabolism is going to slow down, but you can build a foundation. Now, in regards to answering your question and, like, developing that consistency over time, it's like anything, man. It's like anything. If you just do the basics for a very extended period of time, you're going to find yourself in a very good spot. And it's going to be hard to regress because you've built such a good foundation. So it's just like anything. Like, I always bring it back to business because we have a lot of guys that are either business professionals or entrepreneurs themselves. And I'm like, it's no different than what you're doing with your company. If you don't miss for a really long time, you're going to be in a really good spot and it's going to be really hard to mess it up. So you can lay that groundwork and develop that consistency over time and it's going to pay off. 
Yeah, and I want you to dive into your specific role at mm -hmm. Default Kings because yeah. I know you're kind of the fulfillment side. Yeah. So are you are you showing your students, people in your program, how to work out, like what they should be doing on a daily basis to hit those exercise goals? Like what is your role to helping people lose weight and hit their goals with fitness and, mm -hmm. and overall lifestyle? That's a good question. So when we started, so to give the listeners context that don't know us as well, I did not start with Jack and Gabe, right? They started the company. They're the founders. I'm now a co-owner with it. When I came in about a year ago, we were all doing our own thing. It was almost like we were running three independent businesses under one umbrella. So we were all generating our own leads with content. We were all taking our own sales calls. We were all fulfilling our own clients. It was like Jack had his clients, Gabe had his, I had mine. Then we decided we were like, okay, this is kind of like a guru model, right? Like we have to come together and make this a brand, make it a thing because we also needed the focus. So now we have the focus where Jack is doing most of the marketing stuff, generating a lot of the leads. Gabe is managing the sales team, doing sales calls himself. And then I'm managing right now mostly just our client success team. A little bit of joint op stuff, not really there yet. Mostly just managing the client success team. So all of our clients have their very own one-on-one -on -one coach. You know, we have two on staff right now. And everybody has that one-on-one -on -one attention. And then they also have access to me, Jack, and Gabe in the group setting in Slack. We do five group calls a week. Um, they have access to all of us there. They still have us, right, when they need us. But the hands-on stuff is coming directly from their one-on-one -on -one coach. So my role is pretty much just managing those coaches, making sure the community is running smoothly. And then my number one focus is always improving the product. So however I can do that, um, that's really my main focus when I wake up every single day is how do I make this better? And then obviously doing the micro task that comes with managing people throughout the day and little conversations and answering questions and phone calls. Yep. So you led with the fact that you helped someone lose 144 pounds. Still and, counting. And counting. <laughs> Still counting. I feel like on the surface, that's an extremely, extremely daunting number where if mm -hmm. you told someone who's, you know, up there and weight and they're like, we're going to help you lose 144 pounds, they would look at that, feel extremely overwhelmed and just never take action on it. So what is like the baseline things that that person is doing or anyone that wants to lose weight can do to start losing that weight? Is it just like only have two cheat meals a week, get X amount of steps, you know, lift weights. Like what are the default actions that you yeah. kind of set forward for that person? That's a great question. I think even with, uh, his name's Henry, by the way, but he, even with Henry, you know, it's one of those things where you don't come into it and say like you have this goal of 200 pounds you want to lose and just stare at 200 pounds. Because if you do that, it'd be the same thing as with your business. If you were like, I want to get to a 200K month and you just look at that every single day you're better off looking at the daily inputs that you're going to do that are going to mm. get you to that point, right? So with Henry, those daily inputs are very simple stuff. You know, we like to keep it as basic as possible, especially when it's a daunting number like that. It's a high-protein diet. It's making sure we're getting the adequate amount of steps. And it's making sure we're resistance training three to five times a week, depending on who you are. And it really, if you do those three things, you're going to be in an amazing place. Now, we have to make sure that you're in a caloric deficit, but a lot of times get, that gets taken care of simply by eating enough protein. Right? A lot of times, that's people's biggest thing that's holding them back is they're not getting enough protein, their hunger cues are out of whack, and then they end up overeating on the more calorically dense stuff like fats and processed carbs and sugars that it's easy to consume and not going to fill you up. So usually, nutritionally speaking, if we fix the protein part, the calorie deficit takes care of itself. Um, so really, it, it comes down to protein, getting adequate steps in, resistance training. Those are the big three. If you're trying to lose weight, you obviously have to be in a caloric deficit as well. If you're trying to gain weight, you want to be in a caloric excess. It's super interesting because there's so 
many similarities between fitness and business. So many. Right. And so what I'm interested in learning more about uh, you is like, did you get started in business or did you get started with fitness? Like what was first for you? And then we could get into like making the transition and how having experience in both now kind of help each other. Definitely fitness. Definitely. I don't have anything like crazy. Some people have like crazy stories. I was say, was it like a nasty fitness. breakup that made you no, go into no, the gym? Some or people like... have like crazy ass stories. I can't Mine wait to share my story. <laughs> <laughs> you, gotta, you have a deep, painful story that got you into fitness, bro? Kind of. Kind of, yeah. We talked about it in the episode with Dylan. What, what did he call you? Fatty Christian? <laughs> Something like that. We'll get into it. Yeah, no, it's... I grew up playing sports, man. I grew up... I played soccer at a very high level um, my whole life. You know, I was playing club soccer from the time I was six or seven years old. You know, I played that... Uh, for 15 years, I ended up playing in college for two years. And then as I got closer and closer to college, you know, actually both my parents were physical therapists. So that was kind of a bit of an influence on just health as, in general. As I got closer to college, you know, I was coming to the conclusion, I was like, you know what, maybe I want to be a PT too. And I really want to do sports specific physical therapy. I want to work with athletes. So as soon as I got to college, I was studying exercise science and then all of my internships and all of my any kind of field experience I was getting was circulated around sports. So working with conditioning um, specialists, working with performance enhancement specialists, anything revolving sports and athletic performance, I was getting involved with early on and then also was doing you know personal training on the side as well to make some money in college. So it was a pretty organic flow, just being in love with sports. Both my parents were physical therapists. I kind of naturally fell into the love for the fitness side of things and really just health in general. Um, and once I got to college, that's when kind of the business influence started coming in. It was actually a really weird connect to Alex from Closeify that I had. Uh, one of my buddies I was playing college soccer with went to high school with Alex. And so he was a business major. And he was like, hey, let's start a business together. Like, we can do basically online personal training. I was like, nah, you know, like wishy-washy on it. Because I was like, I don't know shit about business. Like, I just want to go to PT school and do my thing. He was like, well, I'll do all the business side of stuff. You just do the product. You just actually give the personal training. I'll market and sell. And I was like, okay, sounds legit. And he told me about Alex, who was running this business on Twitter and doing all this stuff, which was Closeify at the time, like Closeify in its very beginning. And he connected me with Alex, and then Alex was just a massive influence on me throughout. So organically into the fitness, um, and then the business was kind of just the stars aligning, right? I don't know how, how faithful any of the listeners are. Obviously, I believe God played a role in that, right? Introducing me to to my buddy Richie, who knew, happened to go to high school with Alex from Closeify, who's obviously one of the OGs in the, the money Twitter space. So it was, Crazy. it was a bit of a stars aligning moment on the business side of things. Nice. Sh- should I dive into my story real quick? Just to- <laughs> <laughs> you got everybody ready. All right, so <laughs> it was never my seat. Goes, nice. <laughs> he, he was waiting. He was, like, he was like, cool, my turn. Yeah, so from, for me, I always grew up like on the bigger side. I was chubby, mm-hmm. and there was never one deciding factor that got me into fitness, but I remember one day, I think it was like, a friend or someone I was talking to, we were in an argument and their like lowest, <laughs> like their lowest slight on me, like the default thing was like, oh, shut up, fatty. And as soon as I heard that, <laughs> I don't know what flipped the switch in my head, but like a month after that, my dad signed me up for a high intensity interval training gym. Mm-hmm. And every single day from that point, two years later, I went and went and went every single day and I knew nothing about fitness. I played a lot of sports growing up, but my, my advantage was on the tactical side. Like I was smart IQ basketball player could shoot had good passing but I was never the athletical the athletic dominant kind of guy um so I wasn't really in it for even a sports kind of thing it was just that one slight that always triggered in my head and then from that point on every single time I was in the gym I would get home from school I'd be like I just want to take a nap and play GTA all night I don't want to go to the gym and then all of a sudden like that 
thought in my head would just come back in and I would get in the gym. And then once I was in the gym, if my workout was slacking, if I was taking it easy, I would just like, I can turn that switch on at any time of my workout, just as if it happened to me yesterday and I just start working out harder. Um, and now it's at a point now where it's not even about what anyone else thinks of me. It's just like, I just can circle back to that exact thought in my head about how I felt in that moment, like having to pull my shirt off of my gut because I was like insecure about what I was wearing and wearing baggy shit. And if I'm in the gym right now, I could any point of, of my workout, just turn that on and just take it to another level. So, Well, it's funny that you bring that up because one of the big things that we've identified and which makes our mechanism unique is the fact of the, the psychology behind weight loss and the psychology behind being overweight and staying that way for a long period of time. Yeah. So you have that experience of somebody like calling you fatty and we all snickered, but the reality is <laughs> I've worked with hundreds of people that have had a very similar experience or develop that own identity of themselves in them, their head yeah. and it eats at them. Right. And yeah. it eats at them. You know, I tweeted again about, I was at Thanksgiving. I had a distant relative say something about like, you know, I'm eating like a fatty or something along those lines. Right. He called himself like a fat ass. And he snickered and he laughed, but the reality is I know for a fact that it eats at him. And I know for a fact that he actually identifies with that and it kills him and it keeps him overweight. And that's the, the thing that we've identified for a lot of people is the actual psychology behind <coughs> losing weight and keeping it off. A lot of it's going to come back to the identities that you hold about yourself and how you actually feel about yourself as a person. Right. So, so what's your take on le like leveraging that negative emotion of like not even self-hatred, but just like, I hate the way I feel and look, so I'm going to change that and then using that as motivation. Because for me, from what I've experienced, the negative feelings of that are much more motivating to me than like looking at the positives of like what this workout can do. It's like what this workout can get me away from. And it's going to be person to person, right? Some people, they can take the negative emotion and they can apply it directly to improvement. Some people take the negative emotion and they sit in it and they sit in their misery and they stay there. <gasps> that doesn't work. Yeah. Right. So I think it is person to person. Some people do really well with negative emotion. I think it really just genuinely depends on your personality type. I think guys like us are probably guys that if we were angry or upset or had some kind of negative emotion, all of us would use it to fuel ourselves. Not everybody's wired like that. Right. Some people, it is going to drag them down. Um, but so, again, I think it's going to be person to person. So I really like that because you mentioned the psychological aspect of it. Yeah. And based on like your content, I could tell you guys help people with that. Um, and I get it that some people are stress eaters mm -hmm. or some people have just identified with being fat too long that it just like feeds into their actual identity and that's obviously very negative and feeds into mm -hmm. itself but how much of it is like it's that like you need to psychologically explain to these people why they can break this pattern versus like jimmy just put down the fucking doritos <laughs> and like you're not <laughs> hungry you're bored like just stop overthinking it yeah like do you ever like do you have to walk a fine line between that with your clients you have to walk a fine line between just how people respond to certain stuff, right? Yeah. Some people are going to respond to that. Again, like us being the guys, the kind of people that we are, like I know each of you guys pretty well personally, like I could look at you and say like, bro, like cut the shit. Yeah, dude, again, you're small. Yeah, <laughs> like I can look at you and tell you. But again, most people are not wired like that, right? You have to communicate that effectively and actually have genuine empathy for where people are at. Because, again, most of them, it's so deeply ingrained and they've dealt with the problem for so long that it's truly how they see themselves. They truly, like, look in the mirror and they're like, dude, I'm a fat piece of shit. Like, they genuinely say that about themselves. And when it's that deeply ingrained, it's truly a psychological thing that is holding them back. Because ultimately, that identity is just going to drive the actions that they take every single day. It's like the consist consistency principle. You're just going to act in alignment. You're going to keep repeating those actions over time.
And I feel like that's with most client services businesses. Like you're always going to try to lead with positive reinforcement and right. use negative reinforcement as like a last ditch effort. So is that basically the same totally. with, with your clients? Like that's only like if nothing else is working and they literally won't stop making excuses, you just need to throw that out and see if they respond. Totally. Yeah. yeah. You have to lead with empathy. And I think that goes for kind of any coaching service. You have to be genuinely empathetic because if you're coaching it, it means you've probably been there or you've experienced coaching somebody else who has been there. So you, you do know where they're at. Like, yeah. you know, they're in a dark place. So you have to lead with the empathy, in my opinion. And if they don't respond to it, right, it's been like weeks and weeks and weeks. Yeah. That's when you have to maybe do a little big daddy loving and be like, <laughs> you got to sharpen the hell up. Yeah. Yeah. Right? I think I know I firsthand know how powerful coaching can be because yeah. at this, this gym, the workouts would be like 45 minutes intensity like a hit training where you do like 40 seconds of a yep. workout, 10 seconds off. It was like really intense, like pushing you to your limits. Like you want to throw up, you want to pass out. And I would never push myself that hard in a gym by myself, but because there's three trainers there who I liked and respected, who knew how to push my buttons in a way that would get me to finish the workout. I got some of the best workouts of my life and I lost like 30 pounds in high school without watching my diet whatsoever, uh, which I obviously don't advise, but <laughs> with my young age, I was able to do it. But I know how powerful that kind of community aspect can be because, you know, after the workout, we would just mess with each other. And I love the guys that were training me. But during the workout, say I had to do 10 burpees to finish the workout, they'd be like, give me 12. And I'd be like, dude, I hate you. But I would put in the 12. And those extra two would have never happened unless I was in that group coaching setting. So talk about the kind of the relationships that you've built with some of your students as a result of the the work that you've put in with them and the results you've got them. Because I'm sure a lot of these guys you know, would, would call you family at this point with what you guys have been able to do for them. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. And I think the, the reason that happens too, as well is because obviously it's a fitness focus, right? The ultimate goal of 80% of our guys is to lose weight. We have some guys that want to gain weight or just maintain, but majority of guys are losing weight. So obviously the main focus is fitness, but so much of the lessons they learn applied to fitness bleed into other aspects of their life. Right. So just like we were talking about, we're like so much of fitness has to do with or has similarities to business and principles that we practice, like what are force multipliers, what are micro optimizations, right? We talk about <laughs> that stuff with our guys too. And they see it bleed into their marriage, into being a parent, into their career. And because of that, we absolutely build insane depth, right? Like our first client spotlight interview was the other day um, with one of our old clients, Cole Spittler. And like, he's genuinely somebody I consider a friend. You know, because he's seen so much improvement outside of just the fitness and other areas of his life, mm-hmm. like got engaged. He's a sales rep, record commission. And he he literally texted me after he had that record month. And he goes, this is purely because I feel more confident. Yep. And so there's so many parallels and so many benefits that you get in other areas of life when you actually optimize your fitness and your health, especially from a confidence standpoint, that it absolutely creates amazing relationships with these clients and clients that like we consider friends and yeah. family because it bleeds into other areas and I'm, I think that's why those relationships yeah I'm at a point now with like my with fitness and working out where the mental aspects are almost more beneficial mm-hmm. than the physical like I'll leave a workout feeling great I'll get the best work of the day done right after my workout I'll be like extremely creative extremely productive extremely focused right after a workout so I think you know if you can get people on track with their fitness it just yeah. like you said bleeds into everything else that they're doing and it's interesting, too, because some people, and it, I think it depends on your training style, ultimately. Some people, like, love the feeling after a workout. They're like, I feel great. For me, I do, like, heavy strength training. <laughs> me, Jack, and Gabe do. You can't walk. So <laughs> we have to do all of our creative yeah. work in the morning. Because if we go out and we do, like, today we squatted, right? We did legs, me and Gabe. 
heavy lifts. Afterwards, we are fried. Nothing yeah. creative is yeah. done, right? All the projects have to happen before the workout. But again, some people, they can go and they can lift heavy and go out and have an amazing work block. I'm like, yeah. dude, I'm doing all my admin, all my calls in the <laughs> afternoon after a workout because my CNS is fried and I want to sleep, right? So it depends on your training style as well. But some people do see really good results in terms of energy levels when they get like a morning workout and they feel the clarity, they like it. And I think where you're going to see the best results from that is if you're doing some kind of just general movement and cardiovascular tailored training. If you're doing a heavy strength training where you're literally trying to fry yourself, go to failure, lift hard, you're going to be cooked. Yeah. So I think it depends and it's, it depends and it's person to person. Um, but generally speaking, like I wouldn't necessarily recommend going lifting super, super heavy before you have some super creative work block going on. Right. Maybe a little bit of cardiovascular stuff or mobility work, something light. I think it's great. And I think a lot of people see success with it. Um, but it's person to person, man, there's nuance. Yeah. I think one topic of conversation, like considering our audience, young mm -hmm. entrepreneurs yeah, spending yeah. a lot of time at home behind totally. the screen on their computer typing, Probably not with the best, uh, you know, hunch. <laughs> right? <We're all> <laughs> My posture is dude, terrible. Even, That's the one thing I worry about. Too, the posture. The same thing, right? I'm sitting yeah. at a computer doing like we're <laughs> even though we're in fitness, right? We're still yeah. doing, you know, a, a remote business and doing virtual coaching. So yeah. I'm in the same boat, bro. So I'd love to talk about it because I do it. Right? Yeah, hundred percent. I think that's a unique opportunity for us to ask yeah, you because you're in that position. Yeah, um, but like one of the things that I hear from entrepreneurs, and I even use it, it probably is just an excuse. Yeah. Um, but like busy entrepreneurs. I feel like always say that they can't find the time to fit fitness into their schedule or at what point of the day do they have time to meal prep, hit the gym, work out, go on runs. And so I'm, I guess my question for you is like, what have you found to be like the most efficient way to design a day around a healthy lifestyle? It's a good question. I think you have to weave it into your daily routines. So I'll use David Jacob as an example because he's working with us and I know he won't mind if I drop his name and talk about the routines that he's doing right now. But he's somebody that, again, he's an entrepreneur. He's a business owner. He's one of your guys' guys and he's working with us. And something that was a bottleneck for him was commute time. It was going to take him a half hour yeah. to get to his gym. He's going to come back. What's going on? What's up? How are you doing? Uh, I'm all good. I think we're all good. I think we're good. All good. Thank you. Thank you. Um, but he's somebody that had like a half hour commute time. <laughs> That's our ninth guy. Scott's shaking over. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so he had like a half hour commute time to his gym and then an hour workout and a half hour commute back. And he's like, yeah. dude, I can't validate taking two hours out of the middle of my day. Like, I got sales calls, bro. I was like, cool, let's work out at home. Is it ideal? Maybe not. Right. I would much rather him be able to have all this equipment available to him, but I'd rather him do something than nothing. And if we can tailor it to that schedule and save him an hour a day so he can still take calls, do all the things that he needs to do to operate a successful business, then we can make those sacrifices. And I think that is part of it. Like yeah. you do have to somewhat make sacrifices um, to tailor to your schedule. Dude, I always thought it was funny during COVID. Everyone's like, oh, I can't work out anymore. I'm like, I would just go in the basement and do 100 push-ups, 100 sit-ups, yeah. and some burpees. Like, yeah, it's like, you can still get a workout. What was it, freshman year or sophomore year of college? I can't remember. But I ordered just some resistance bands on Amazon and like some adjustable dumbbells yeah. and a pull-up bar, and I was just ripping shit at home in my, in my basement of my college house, right? And I was like, it's not always going to be optimal, especially if you're somebody that's busy and you're yeah. doing stuff like we're doing where you're doing stuff all the time. Sometimes you have to make sacrifices, right? Sometimes I get booked up and I have a bunch of crap going on and I go to my apartment gym that just has a set of cables. Yep. It's not ideal. I'd much rather go pick up a barbell. Yeah, talk about that because some days I'll get a workout in and I like went to the gym expecting to do, you know, pull day with 
abs and cardio, and I only end up doing like half of my pull day and like a little bit of abs and cardio. But like, I think still getting that imperfect workout in is what is what you would call like a default action, right? I, yeah, I keep totally. coming back to that. So just talk about the consistent action being prioritized over having the best workout of your life every single day, just getting it done as opposed to like optimizing for we're, we're maximum all yeah, output. Yeah. It's, it's a great question because I think a lot of people, they think it has to be perfect. And again, this is another like fitness to business to life parallel. It, it doesn't have to be perfect. And it's not going to be. Circumstances arise, things happen, and you're far better off just going and doing something, even if it means just showing up to the gym and keeping the habit consistent, keeping the default action consistent of just being there and showing up. It's always going to be better than skipping it because it's not going to be ideal. It's not going to be perfect. Or like, oh, I went and the machines were taken. Okay, at least you're there. Just do something. I don't care. Walk on the treadmill. Do something. And if you can just make the habit of showing up and doing something instead of nothing, you're going to be in a really good place. And I think that's ultimately what it's mostly about in terms of seeing long-term success. Just never not doing something. Just do something. <laughs> do something, literally. Do literally something. Anything. I want to transition a little bit more yeah, yeah. Uh, to the business side of things. Mm -hmm. uh, so you have a pretty interesting journey in business where it sounds like you kind of had your own thing going for a while. And then you made the decision to partner up with other guys in your space that others might have considered competitors, right? And so, like, there's this limiting belief, uh, I think, when people are just getting started in business that they have to do it all on their own and they can't share the pie with anyone else because it's going to take away from their success and their potential earnings. So talk about if you had that mindset going into it and then how that's changed partnering with Jack and Gabe and how that has just positively impacted the business growth. Yeah, that's great. So Jack actually started, how our relationship started is he was mentoring me in business, right? So he was mentoring me on like how to build a personal brand on Twitter, how to land clients. You know, then Gabe was helping me with like how to do a sales call. And after a few months of that, when I started finally getting some traction on that, they found themselves in a spot where they needed focus, right? Like Jack was doing marketing, Gabe was doing sales, but the fulfillment kind of thing, it wasn't really taken. And that's when they asked me to come in. So it was kind of like a less of we're all doing the same thing and coming together. More of there was a, a hole that needed filled and I had the skills to fill the hole. So it made sense. It made sense. And I think that's a big part of it because if it didn't make sense, they wouldn't ask me to do it. Right? <laughs> and I don't think it, if it didn't make sense, it wouldn't have made sense. Right? Like wouldn't there would have been no reason. Right? And so there was actually a hole in the business that I had the skills to fill. So it made sense for us to come together. But I think uh, a theme of all business that you have to accept is just abundance mindset. And I know you guys are obviously very familiar with this, I'm sure, because you guys are in a similar spot where you have business partners and you're sharing pieces of a pie, right? And if you're operating out of scarcity, it's never good for anybody. It's never good for anybody. And you'll stunt your own growth if you operate out of scarcity because you're like, oh, well, I could make more money if I did this and did this thing on my own. You're, you're operating out of scarcity. You have to operate out of abundance in everything, right? especially business. And I think, again, you guys can attest to that as well with your situation because I know you guys are running a coaching program and you're splitting pieces of a pie, right? So it's the same boat, and I think you guys would have a very similar answer of you have to operate abundantly. Yeah, it's literally set up the same way, right? Like we have me for sales, we have Andre for operations, and we have Christian for marketing. Yeah. So same thing. It's just about having complementary skill set and not worrying, hey, like, is partnering up with people going to take away? You have to opt into these relationships where, you know, the sum of the parts are greater than the whole or whatever that saying is. <laughs> I always butcher yeah. that one. Uh, <laughs> I've got another question for you, though. Um, and this is about business specifically in the fitness space. Because when I think personal trainer, 
I think like, okay, somebody like that's helping Christian in there in person, motivating, yeah. like kind of getting in their face. But as I understand it, what is it, 90%, 100% of what you guys do online? Can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, just in terms of like with something that seems as hands-on as fitness, how do you guys successfully coach people from a distance? 100% online. 100% yep. online to answer your question. And it's funny because this was like the breakdown I had to give to family at like holidays. They're like, what are you doing? Like online personal <laughs> training? Like, fitness <laughs> yeah. Are you on Zoom <laughs> telling them to do jumping jacks? I'm like, no, mom, I'm not. Um, and it's going to sound funny, but it's literally, it's you give them a program, they go off, they do the program by themselves. And when they need you, that's when you come in and coach. Obviously, you should play a little bit of offense too, just as a service provider. Like you should reach out to them and do that. But when they need form help, sending in videos, giving them reviews on form, getting on calls with them where they're not doing jumping jacks in a, zoo, <laughs> in a fucking Zoom meeting, but going over like, what are you struggling with nutritionally? What are you struggling with with your mindset and your, and your habits approaching the situation? And so it's basically everything that personal training might be other than being there with them and cheerleading them through the workout. That's, that's pretty much it. Right. And I tell people there's some cases you need a personal trainer. Like you need somebody there next to you. If you are so green that you can't safely go through a movement, that's when you need a personal trainer. If you're in such a bad place mentally, I don't want to call you lazy because you might just be in a very bad place mentally or just mentally weak where you can't actually take yourself through a workout and you need a cheerleader, you need somebody there to just like work you through it, that's when a personal trainer comes into play, right? So it's basically, I mean, that's the difference. It's the difference between having somebody there with you during your workouts and not, and that's really the only thing that changes um, when you deliver it 100% virtually. Now, they have to adopt a layer of personal responsibility, of course. Right, because they can just ghost you. They could. They disappear. It's virtual. They don't go to like your gym, right? Like I don't yeah. see them. I'm not going to be like Tim. Where were you the other day? Right? Like <laughs> I don't see them. It's virtual. So they have to adopt a, a layer of personal responsibility. And I think ultimately that's on the service provider to communicate effectively. And like the line that I always go back to with guys on kickoff calls is, "We'll load the bases for you, but ultimately you're the one that hits the ball." I like that. Right. So like, if you set that expectation and you set the responsibility, and you like you can't mess up the communication, right? You have to effectively communicate that you have to work. You can't be all sunshine and rosy glasses. You have to tell them it's going to take work and it's going to take personal responsibility. So that's like the difference between a virtual setting and then the in-person training. And I would be happy to talk more about that because I did it for two years, right? Um, so I have experience if you want to dive deeper into that, if you, if you have more questions. Yeah, it just seems like when you're doing things remotely, you need to develop more discipline as opposed to like the motivation that comes with having somebody like a, you know, going back to my experience, like a football coach who's like yelling and like spinning in your face. Uh, and that, I feel like that's why you guys take like a more holistic approach. Cause like, Hey, if you have discipline in all areas of your life, like fitness is, it's going to be a walk in the park. Uh, so yeah, I guess talk about that. Like how the, you know, how you do one thing is how you do everything. And like kind of that mindset that you guys have, cause it seems much broader than just fitness with you guys. It's kind of, you know, default Kings, like the name itself, like you're just defaulting to like doing, you know, the right thing on a daily basis. Yeah. And I think something too, that's going to be important, especially for listeners to understand and maybe for you guys too, um, is breaking down the difference between like what you default to and what's discipline. We like to tell clients, it's like what you default to is just like, you're going to do it. It does not matter. It doesn't necessarily take discipline because there's times where I'm dude, I, I coach fitness. There's times I don't want to go to the fucking gym. Yeah. <laughs> right. And it doesn't, it's not necessarily that it takes discipline. It's just like, I need to do it. Like, I'm just going to do it. 
right? It's like brushing my teeth at this point. And that's why I compare it to people. I'm like, at some point, it just becomes brushing your teeth. And that's the point you want to get it to, where it's not a matter of discipline and like requiring effort. You're not like, oh man, I gotta go. No, you just go. You default to it, right? Like it just happens. Um, so there's that as well. And then I'm missing the first part of your question. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, just talking about how like, at oh, least the just the way it seems, how it's kind of yeah. like full spectrum, not yeah. just fitness. No, I remember what I, I wanted to say for that part as well. Is like the first thing we attack is the mindset, right? That was what I want to say is like the very first four weeks of the program is, is tailored to like actually tackling the mindset behind it, right? How do we uncover what you actually feel about yourself, right? We literally make them write out, like what does the little voice in your head say when you look in the mirror? What does it say? Like we make them write it out and send it to us. And we get to the bottom of that. That's like the very first thing they do, right? And then we talk about, okay, cool. How can we actually change what you're doing on the day-to-day to work towards the positive things that you want to get to? Right? If you want to be somebody that's confident and fit, like, okay, what do we have to do every single day to make that happen? Well, as trivial as it sounds, it's like, well, we got to start hitting our workouts, right? Well, we got to start doing our nutrition, right? And we make them list it out and knock it off when they're doing it and send it to us. So we keep them super accountable and you have to tackle the mindset first. And then we kind of, based on where they're at, you know, go from there. Their one-on-one coach kind of decides based on where they're at. Nutrition, workout, what do we need to hit on? Most people, it's nutrition. Right? That's usually the, the logical progression is fix the mindset, fix the nutrition, then fix the training aspects of it. But it's the first thing you have to tackle because you have to get them in the right headspace. If they're not in the right headspace, it, they're not going to receive anything. Nothing's going to be received. It's going to go one in, ear, in one year, out the other. It's powerful stuff. And I actually did exercises just like the one you mentioned with like a trained mindset coach. So I'm interested to learn like, where did you pick up all this stuff? Because you're young, but you yeah. have, like, this wealth of knowledge and speak so clearly and intelligently about this stuff. It's, it's impressive. So I'm just wondering, like, are there books, resources, mentors that have come into your life that have taught you these things? I'm not going to take credit for a psychological system that, that Jack and Gabe already laid the groundwork for when I came in, and they just got me very up to speed on it very fast, and I, I adopted it because I saw it in my own life. Right now resources that they have. I know Psycho Cybernetics is a book that we recommend to everybody because it's basically the foundation of all this stuff. And you might have read it with your mindset coach, honestly. Have you heard of it? Have you read I've it? I've heard of it. Okay. I'm not a big reader. Yeah. Can you say that <laughs> again? Because that's anymore. like a, a big yeah. word right there. Yeah. Psycho Cybernetics. Right, I think gotcha. I said it right. I think that's right. Um, and that's a book that has a lot of information on the psychology behind identities and behavior change, how it affects it. And so Jack is like the one that leads all the psychology stuff, right? He is the one that is like balls deep in like <laughs> psychology behind all the stuff going on in your mind and your beliefs. Um, so I'm not going to take credit for like a, a groundwork that was already laid. And they, they taught me the system. And then we've just gone deeper and deeper and bought further and further into it as the years have progressed. And really it came down to, because originally it wasn't like a core tenet of what we were teaching. It was just like one thing that they got, but it started to stick. Clients were like, yeah, it's a default action. And it just started to stick and we started to hear it. And then we, me and Gabe were on sales calls and we were explaining to people and it was clicking. We were like, you know how you like brush your teeth, right? And they're like, yeah. Like, do you have to think about brushing your teeth? They're like, no, I just do it. It's default action. So it's communicated very simply to people. And that's when it stuck and that's when we changed the name. Yep. And then we were like, we need to go with this and make this the unique mechanism as default actions and the psychology behind it. Yeah. And, go yeah. ahead. I was going to say, like, it's, I've seen it in my own life where it, when you're talking about, like, hey, you're tweeting, you have a much easier time tweeting every day as opposed to, like, tweeting three times a week. Same thing with me with working out. Like, I have a much easier time 
working out every single day of the week as opposed to three to five good workouts per week. Because it, it's not going to be something where it's like, oh, I have this big daunting task that I only do three times a week. Like this kind of stinks. It's just easier if you're doing it every day. And yeah, maybe you miss a day or two because you're traveling or whatnot. But like that's something that I've you know found true in like business, life, just really every aspect is if you do something every single day, it's much easier than trying to make a concerted effort to do something like one or twice, once or twice a week. Yeah, and I heard this. This was a quote from Dave Meltzer, who's like a really successful entrepreneur. And I'm going to butcher the exact quote, but it was something along the lines of like 10 minutes a day is a lot more valuable than 10 hours on a Saturday. And I think that speaks to exactly what you were just talking about, which is like if you keep it consistent on a day to day, it's a lot easier to commit to. And I can relate to that personally because like, it's nothing crazy, but like I recently committed to a fitness journey, which was running uh, one mile a day for 100 straight days. And like, You're still doing it. Yeah, bro. I'm still, still doing it. it. It's like day uh, 105. And like these guys make fun of me, whatever. Uh, it's it's whatever. I'm going to like it every time I see it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it. But like I know that if I was just going to set the goal of running five times a week, I would probably be more likely to fail. It's the day-to-day -day consistency, knowing that as soon as I wake up, the first thing I think of doing is going downstairs and running for 10 minutes. And that builds into my default actions, just like brushing my teeth and taking a shower. So that is uh, super powerful stuff. I kind of want to pivot into some more uh, exciting conversations that we could have some fun with, oh, yeah. which is... Uh, what, what do you got which in mind, is, uh, What are your thoughts on Diet Coke? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I'm saving that one Shout for later. <laughs> Saving that one for later. Um, but I think something that's super important uh, being in like a position that you're in, which is like coaching other people on fitness journeys is as a leader setting a good example and challenging yourself in other aspects of your life. And from my understanding, you do this in the sense that is MMA. Uh, and I'm really interested oh, to, to talk yeah, about yeah. MMA and how that has benefited you as a business owner and just in your fitness journey. And how, how would you lay that out to it sounds like more like a male entrepreneur crowd or just yeah. male crowd in general. Yeah, totally. Um, it's funny how I got into the sport because it was, I'm trying to think, it was June of 2020. So obviously COVID was like in the peak. I don't know if I can say that. Hopefully you guys don't get banned because I said the C word. <laughs> no, we, Jennings already ruined that for us. <laughs> I was just saying, hopefully I don't get you guys banned by saying the C word. Um, get your booster. <laughs> that was for YouTube. That was for YouTube. Oh, and this is going to give one view. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, so it was, it was right in the middle of that, right? It was rampant, and I was still playing college soccer at the time. And it was around June when they announced that they were going to cancel the season. Now, we were all in the headspace. It was right after my freshman year. We were all in the headspace. We're like, no, we're playing. Like, we're, the season's happening. Like, we're grinding. Like, we're training in the summer. Like, going to the park and getting training sessions in because the fields are closed. All this BS. And finally, they canceled the season, and I was, like, defeated. Because the only sport I ever played growing up was soccer. Mm. It was the only sport I ever played. And so I was defeated because that was my whole identity, bro. Like, we were talking about identities. Like, that was it. Right? That was all I knew. I was like, what the fuck? Like, what am I going to do? Because at that point, I was going to have a nine-month stretch of, of not playing. Jeez. I didn't know what the hell to do. And right at that time is kind of when I was entering into my little self-improvement stage. It was, like, early 2020, right around COVID hit. And I was like deep into David Goggins and like Jocko Willink. And I was reading one of Jocko's books. It was his Discipline Equals Freedom book, like the manual. It's like a hundred page book. Yeah. And in one of the pages, he says, everybody should train martial arts. And he's like, the one you should start with is jujitsu. And I'm like, hmm. And this was like a few days after the season got canceled. I'm like, all right, fuck it. So I Googled jujitsu gyms near me and I find one and I go and I just started. 
Right? I just started going. I went to that one for like a month or two. I kind of found out I was like a McDojo. Like it was like mom and pop, like self-defense. And I was like, this is, <laughs> I was like, this is bullshit. Uh, so I left and went to an MMA gym, which was strong style in Independence, Ohio, which is actually Steve Miocic's gym, oh. um, which was awesome. That's so that was cool. Yeah, you got to see him in there all the time. That was super mm -hmm. cool. Um, and I started training there, right? And that was kind of right before I started my first business, which was in December of 2020. So I got into strong style, which was more legit, serious, really getting into the sport more. I got to strong style in like August. And then in December is when I started my business. And I was actually on my way home from strong style when my buddy called me and said, hey, you want to start a business? And I was like, nah. And then he was like, I'll do the business part. And I was like, all right, cool. So that sport, I think there's a strong correlation between that sport and business owners. And I think there's a reason a lot of guys in our space kind of end up dabbling with it at some point. Um, and some of them fall in love with it. I know right now Gabe is... Gabe is all the way in, bro. Like Gabe is. In, there's a phase you go through with combat sports where like you are addicted. Now I'm still addicted, but like you're addicted. Like Gabe is training more than me right now, right? Like he's going ham, and he's in that stage of of a real deep, passionate love for it because there's something primal about the sport, and it just triggers something, some kind of dopamine response or something, especially for guys that are like type A personality, like masculine dudes, like all of us. Um, so. I mean, yeah, man, like in terms of benefits for business, I think the biggest thing is the stress management. There's nothing as stressful as somebody trying to choke you out of practice <laughs> or like kick you in the head or like I'm like partially deaf in my ear right now because I got blasted at practice. So like there's nothing as stressful as yeah. literally just I was going to say, Christian asked you like four questions you didn't answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you did? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not this year you can't it's this year so but uh yeah man i think the what do you say <laughs> huh Who? Uh, quick uh technical to we should try to get the chandelier on it's like very dark is it dark on the camera all right should we pause for a second get that on i don't either i'll ask downstairs quick all right i'll be right back no uh, yeah because all the light outside this is after hours. This is when we Intermission. start getting into the real shit. Yeah. Intermission. Christian, grab a few beers. No. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be funny if it was just like the whole episode is just like you just see smoke and like you hear voices. <laughs> That'd be pretty badass. That'd be sick. <laughs> it's like, yeah, there's people there. Oh man. It's like a scene in the mob movie. We got the corner table. Totally. <laughs> this place is totally mob vibe. Oh, oh yeah. Dude, there's there's a. Cool little cigar bar, man. I swear, I've never seen the guy. <laughs> this place is so crazy, bro. It's I've been to like right. four cigar bars now since I first came here. This is the first one I ever went to. Everything sucks. Dude, I know. we were talking about it. literally ruins everything. Every sucks. Cigar bar. Everything sucks. There's like a nice one in Orlando. Like it's like rated like five stars, really nice. It's is that two the, minutes from Gabe's house? The it's Corona cool. one. Uh, no, it's, it's called Admiral Cigar Club. Okay. Admiral. Gotcha, gotcha. And it's like a two minute walk from Gabe's house. And so we go there all the time, but it's, it's, it's so small. Yeah, dude, this is yeah, just insane. If not, I think that, that helped a lot. It will look completely different in the video, like halfway. It's fine. We can just blame another light We should just keep this whole thing. Ah, you should just keep this whole thing rolling. Try just the chandelier. See what that looks like. No edits. I have a good one for this one. Do any of you guys want? Do Do any of you guys want to like compete or like just do oh, it yeah. for fun? Save it, yeah. save it, save it. Oh, I'll ask that. That'll be the first question. He said, "Save it, save it, save it." <laughs> Don't ask anything that you want to ask. Do I get a low key? Nah, fuck it. I'm 
saving my cigar. My cigar. It's hard to smoke a cigar and talk. All right, so dude. What, where do we leave off? I have, I have a good transition. Save that'll be the question you lead in with. All right, that was dark mode of the podcast. Uh, or back lights. I have, I have a good transition. No, this is kind of stupid, but <laughs> I'm sure he's got a killer transition, bro. Oh, we're good. <laughs> oh, we're good. <laughs> All right, never mind. That. And we're back. <laughs> we are we're back. back. It's very bright so, in here now. <laughs> yeah, so this is a new day. Uh, Joey actually had to go to an emergency ear appointment after <laughs> figuring out that his ear was ruptured. And so <laughs> we had to move bro. the recording and Dave's back, be. and now it's daytime. So continue. <laughs> yeah, on the topic of MMA and training, I feel like whenever you dive like headfirst into something, you just want to continue to do it at a higher level. Like if you're training sales, like you're right. like, all right, I want to get on a sales call. Like, do you... Gabe, Jack, like, do you ever, do you guys ever want to like compete? Uh, is that like an aspiration of yours to uh, actually, yeah. you know, professionally fight? Uh, I don't know about professionally. I mean, I've done like a local jujitsu turn- tournament when I was like six to eight months into it. Um, nothing too crazy though. I don't know about professionally. My thing is like, I don't want to cut weight and I like, people are going to call me a pussy for that, but I don't care. Like I don't want to <laughs> cut weight at all. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at with it. I mean, I think it would be cool, right? Like we have friends that are doing it semi-professionally or amateur and even professionally. For me personally, my biggest priority in life is business, right? Yeah. Now, right, ultimately. And obviously it's a hobby that I'm very passionate about. Like it's a massive part of my life. Pushing it to that level, I don't see myself doing it, but definitely competing. Yeah, for sure. Competing for sure. Like I think me and Gabe are going to do in Q1 um, just a local tournament. Right. I know that'll be his first one. So get his feet wet there. It'll only be my second one, but definitely competing with it. Cause I think that's ultimately the only way to do it at the highest level. It's totally different, right? You can be at practice and like have fun and get good. Like you can get very good, but when you compete, it's totally different. Like it's totally different. Are you doing like a full on MMA fight? Like, no, no, I'm just going to do a local jujitsu tournament. I might do a MMA, like amateur fight at some point. Is jujitsu like fun. just the wrestling? Yeah. Just okay. the grappling, just the grappling part of it. Um, at some point I think it would be fun to do an, amateur just mma cage fight it doesn't take too long to get to that point where you can do one i mean anybody can do an amateur mma fight i mean like you might get killed but you can do it you can sign up um it would be fun to do that at some point i don't know what the timeline is for an mma one jujitsu one though yeah that's totally totally in the cards for like very soon for both me and him we're still trying to get jack on the train we got him to train with us once so we're getting him in i'm I'm gonna get him addicted don't worry (laughs) i'll get him I'll get them. Yeah, I was uh, I was watching the UFC fights with you guys a couple weeks ago, and you guys were like selling me hard on it. You're like, dude, you got to do it, you dude. Yeah, well, doesn't it. your brother do it? Yeah, yeah, he fights. Uh, he fights amateur. Oh, He's bro. fucking nut though. Like different personality <laughs> They're types. Psycho. Like, yeah, They're psycho. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude. Like it's we, crazy. and it kind of shows. It's always been that way. Like growing up, we both played football. Like that was our main sport. Yeah. I was a quarterback. I'd rather just like throw a touchdown pass or you know have people block for me, and you know instead of like running through people. <laughs> And this kid is just a missile. Like, he would just oh, yeah. straight up lead with his head and just crack people. So not super surprising there. And I, I understand the allure of it, though, because I feel like what you said, like, the couple times that I've, like, sparred with him, number one, it's scary. But number two, like, it takes your mind off of everything else. And I feel like that's why you see high performers like, you know, Zuckerberg's getting into <laughs> MMA. Or, like, Tom Hardy, like, just, like, randomly yeah, yeah. popped up and he won some, some tournament. So is that, like... The reason that Jocko preaches it is just like, hey, you like can't think about anything else. Like the best way to kind of escape what you're currently doing and to just develop excellence in another area of your life. It's definitely a flow state sport. Yeah. And any kind of combat sport is flow state. Like I can plug in headphones and hit a bag for an hour, bro. 
and just not think about anything else. Because it's impossible to think about something else when somebody's literally in its practice, right? You tap. You're not actually going to die. But that primal instinct still fires. And it's funny because when guys are brand new, like, they panic. Like, they start grappling, and they're, like, breathing all heavy. Like, their face gets all red. They're pulling and squeezing hard as they can because it's, it's so, like, you can't turn it off when you're new because it's so primal. It's violence to you. And violence and fighting are completely different things. We could talk about that, too. That'd be a fun conversation. But for new guys, it's, it's so primal, and you see it the most for brand new guys because they literally can't stop themselves from trying so hard and burning out. They last, like, a round, maybe two, where all the other guys are, can do it for, you know, hours because you learn how to kind of control that. And it is such a flow state sport, and it is impossible to focus on other things. Like, I can't think about, like, our KPIs when I'm trying to fight somebody. <laughs> like, I can't. It, it's impossible. And I think that's one of the biggest benefits from it because it's an actual release because doing yeah. what we do at least in the phases or the seasons of business that we're all in i mean i guess i can't speak for you guys but i know for me like it's still the number one like anytime i'm sitting down i'm like business business yeah, yeah, yeah. like and you could go oh. to the gym and just do a chest day and you're still thinking about business the whole time oh, yeah. so i think no, that's kind of like the benefit it, yeah. or like why i would want to get into it is like totally you literally are forcing yourself not to think about it yeah, which is a release i mean my release different. is just basketball like i don't need violence i'm you just like i need to go yeah. box that guy out i'm not yeah, gonna totally. <laughs> like totally with a sport it's different too than the gym you know some people get that release from the gym and if if you do that's great right like good for you i don't um you know i go to the gym i'm benching and i'm thinking about kpis right like <laughs> i'm like what the fuck do we need to fix um i think sports as a whole could absolutely serve that role of being something where you get into a flow state and you can't think about anything else same thing goes. If you're going for a, you know, if you're doing a pull up three or something, like you can't be thinking about anything else. Like you have to be focused in the moment. I don't know basketball terminology as well as you can tell, but for me, it's <laughs> like it's golf, <laughs> which golf is, is like great. the least physical sport. Golf, like it was the same thing though. I yeah. suck at golf. Everybody sucks at golf, but when you're sitting there and you're about to golf, and you're about to have a shot. Like you can't be thinking about anything else. Yeah. So I think sports can serve that role. I think the extreme end of that role is combat sports. Yeah. Because like golf, I feel like on the opposite side for me is the sport where I concentrate the least. Maybe that's why I'm fucking I terrible golf, at it. Bro. I'm but so bad. I love golf. Yeah, yeah. So, exactly. I'll go anytime somebody asks and I just tell them, I'm like, dude, I'm going to shoot like 120, but I'll go. <laughs> like 100%. It's so fun. Yeah. I think part of the answer to your question too of like guys like Jocko and David Goggins recommending combat sports is because it's along the lines of doing hard things. Yeah. Right. Totally. totally. I completely agree. I think Jocko's context might be a little different just because of his life. Yeah. Right. Like he was in a career where like yeah. you need to actually know that to be able to subdue somebody and survive potentially. But I think ultimately the lessons still carry over, right? It's, it's yeah. doing hard shit. I want to get your take on something a little, little controversial these do days. It. Like why do you think in today's society, there's uh, more of an acceptance of like men being less masculine, like, Oh, dad bod you're in the gym like going to the gym is <laughs> going to the gym is toxic fighting mma is toxic like shooting guns is toxic have the dad bod like just like why do you think that is such like a thing these days compared to what it was like 40 50 years ago so the last three podcasts i've been on i've gotten to this point in the conversation where i go how big of a tinfoil hat do you want me to put on the biggest like, one there is <laughs> <laughs> gabe texted me right before this he's like put on the tinfoil hat yeah, do it please Gen just i genuinely again i i and my answer's congruent every time i've been asked any kind of question like this i try to look at everything objectively and looking at things objectively i continue to come back to the conclusion that there is a genuine attempt to pacify people from whoever is the pe people that run the world whoever the hell it is i don't know 
But whoever it is that sits in the room and makes decisions, I think there's a genuine attempt to pacify people, make men less masculine, make women less feminine. That's my genuine answer. And that's looking at it objectively. That's why I say how big of a tinfoil hat, because I'm not going to sit here with an emotional answer and try to justify it. It's just like looking at it, looking at the facts. That's what I've concluded. And why? Like, I guess I have my own answer to this, but why is that the attempt? Because I think if you have the men that are our age, right, like military age males, the softer you have them, the easier a population is to control, mm. ultimately, in my opinion. Yeah, no, 100% agree. I just wanted to yeah. hear your take on that. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it could be, I, mean, I could be totally wrong. That's why I say tinfoil hat. I could be totally wrong, and it's just how the world is changing. But even, like, gender roles aside, like, you see the, the plus-size models and the Victoria's Secret covers are... I'm not going to say, but like they're a lot different than they used to look on the covers <laughs> yeah, yeah, nowadays, yeah. if you know what they're I mean. They're not like, hot. You mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's the tinfoil hot. Yeah. There we go. So, uh, w- overall, why do you think that is? Like, first of all, why, what do you think is the cause of, like, I don't know if this is a fact, but like obesity rates going up, more people overweight, like more people accepting the fact that being overweight is cool, like, okay, when it's clearly the research shows that being overweight leads to health complications. Well, when you talk about the body positivity movement, I, I think it's kind of like the umbrella that we could put that under, right? It's like plus size models and all that. I think the intention of the body positivity movement may have been pure. It's like accept people for who they are, do this. But we took it to extreme, an extreme of promoting obesity. So it's not, I don't think it is what it was intended to be. I think it was intended to be pure. I think it was intended to like, guess, accept people for who they are. Everybody's different. Not everybody's going to look jacked and insane but it turned into obesity promotion and trying to spin a narrative that obesity is objectively healthy when it's clearly not. And in terms of people getting more and more obese, I don't think there's one thing that you can pinpoint it to. I think it's, there's many cofactors that go into like, why are people getting less and less healthy? If you look at how the world is changing, more technology, people are less active. There's way more convenience. We have Uber Eats, even the convenience of like grocery stores. A couple hundred years ago, like, we didn't have that stuff, bro. Like, we had to go kill food, cook it, do it ourselves. Things are getting more convenient, right? Technology is getting more important, right? They're improving more and more. So there's a ton of cofactors that go into why people are getting more and more obese. But the body positivity movement, again, I think it's just gone off the deep end, personally. I honestly think it's all capitalism. Like, I can sell more food if it's addictive. I can sell more clothes if we need to have double XL and triple XL in stock for all these other yeah. people. I can sell more or produce more chicken if they're all roided up and yeah. Yeah. I think it's just yeah. And like we money. were talking on a, on a group call on what day was it? Monday. And one of our clients asked, he's like, just curious, like curiously asked, like it was totally no ill intentions. He was like, do you think big food and big pharma like have our best intentions at heart? I was like, Fuck no. <laughs> I was like, no, no. And again, I think it has to do with capitalism and money and the opportunity to profit. You could look at the, I call it big fitness, but you could look at the fitness industry as a whole, and I'm in the industry, so it's kind of like you walk a fine line. You could look at the fitness industry as a whole and say the personal training model is flawed because they're incentivized to keep people coming back. Right? Ultimately, if you're a good fitness coach, in three to six months, I should be able to teach you everything you need to know to go and be healthy for the rest of your life if you're good at what you do. But the model is flawed. And I can say that because I was in the industry. I was working at a gym, a corporate training gym, where I only got paid if people showed up for sessions. So you can look at that model as well. You can look at fitness and say, is the fitness industry incentivized to keep people overweight and sell them fad diets, like things like keto, these things that don't 
typically stick, these trendy things. And people can have their own opinion on keto. I don't care. I'll argue with you on it. Um, but you can look at trends in the fitness space and you can say, is fitness, is the fitness industry incentivized to keep people unhealthy? You could easily make the argument for it. Because of capitalism. Because <laughs> yeah. of capitalism. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and this is something we talked about a lot because we were traveling to uh, like places like Europe and Dubai and whatever, and like the difference between the quality of food. Oh, I wanted to ask you guys about is, that. So I'm curious. Yeah, it's yeah. unbelievable. And, uh, Christian and Dan can talk about this as well. Like in Europe specifically, like the quality of food is unbelievable. Like you'll eat the same amount, probably even more food there, and feel way different after than if you were to have a meal here in America. And so we could talk about that. But what I'm interested in is like knowing what we know about the food industry in America and how most food is pretty toxic and not good for you. Like, how do you put together a nutritional plan that is budget friendly and healthy? Because I feel like it's, it's really difficult to know if you're not fully in the industry and doing the research and it could be a whole task in itself. So like, what have you learned? Uh, I guess like quick hacks to eating clean. Quick hacks to eating clean is it's gonna come down to asking yourself the question, if you want to eat clean, right, if that's the goal, right, eat clean as possible, you need to ask yourself, like, is this objective? Is this real food? Real food meaning, does it come from the earth? Did it come in a box? Was it man-made or did God put it on the earth? Easy way to tell that and an easy rule that I tell people to follow when they're trying to just eat, like, really clean is... Was it around, like, a thousand years ago? Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's like, was this around a hundred years ago, 200 years ago? Could you eat this? Pop-tarts? <clears throat> no. Right. The problem for me is in Europe, I would eat a full pie, a pizza pie. I would eat a bunch mm -hmm. of pastries. I would just eat a ton of carbs. And I would walk out of the restaurant and I would feel completely fine. Now, if I come to America and eat a whole Domino's <laughs> pie and I eat a microwave warmed chocolate croissant from the, gr the grocery store <laughs> that was not made that day, I'm going to have stomach pains. I'm going to have digestion problems. I'm going to feel like, feel like shit. So I feel like the lines yeah. are really blurred in America where the things that you think are naturally occurring have been modified along the way from like being made to being on your plate that makes it a little tricky to know what's man-made and what's not and i don't know i don't want to speak too much on it because i'm not positive so i don't want to like mislead people but i'm pretty sure that the reason this happens is because there's different regulations for chemicals that we can use in i looked it country. up in portugal there are things illegal in europe to put in food that are put in almost all of american food correct Correct. That is fucking that's insane. That's why I haven't looked into it too much, so I don't want to like tell people something that's completely false. But I'm pretty sure that is the case where there's like mil like not millions. There's a bunch of regulations in America, or that are lacking in America that they have in other countries. That's like you can't put this in food, but in America we put it in food, and people feel like shit. Yeah, and the exact same product that you can buy here has like a, an ingredients list that's like a paragraph, and in Europe that exact same name brand thing has like three ingredients, and it's a lot cleaner. Yeah, so and, it's like, and that was one of the other things too. Like we were talking about, like don't eat it if it wasn't around a hundred or two hundred years ago. The other way you can run this test is only eat stuff with one ingredient, and that sounds crazy to a lot of people, but it's like beef. Chicken. Rice, avocado, rice, avocado. And then you look Banana. at the back of Beyond Meat. Honey. It's like, there's. I don't even <laughs> know the chemicals yeah. in there. Right, exactly. So it's like that's another test you can run. Is you can run. Okay, does this have one ingredient? And if it does, it's probably pretty clean, right? Unless you're just you know drinking canola oil. But generally speaking, it's a good test that you can run, right? And in terms of budget friendly, I want to answer that question for you too because I know that's one that we've gotten a lot for clients as well. So it's like obviously you want to eat clean, but it is across the board the deeper you go into micro optimizing the more it's going to cost you mm. grass-fed beef is going to cost you more than just regular beef 
right? Uh, Pasture-raised eggs are going to cost you more than just eggs. So when you're talking about budget-friendly, it's going to come down to how much you want to micro-optimize it, right? Because if yeah. you want to get it super sourced, super clean, you're going to pay for it. But I'm in the camp as well where depending where you're at in your fitness journey, you probably don't need to micro-optimize. Most yeah. people listening to this and most of the people we work with, they don't need to take it to that extreme. The one thing I will say, though, is I think the first lifestyle upgrade you should ever make if you make more yep. money is spend the extra two bucks to get the grass-fed beef, spend the extra two bucks to get the pasture-raised eggs, you know, go for the ingredients and the things in the grocery store that are premium. And yeah, it's going to cost you $20 extra a week on your grocery bill, but it's, I feel like it's very, very worth it. Absolutely. Yeah, I'd agree completely. And, you know, we, I was talking to a client about this specifically where it's like, there's just layers of it. And as you go up the chain, you're going to pay more. And that's just the nature of the beast. But again, most people aren't at the point where they need to micro optimize. And I tell people until you're under 15% body fat, you probably don't need to micro-optimize, man. Like you need to worry about hitting your protein goal by any means. If that's from grass-fed beef or beef, it doesn't fucking matter. Get your protein. I'm not worried about you going micro yet. Once you get to sub 15, then we can talk about like, hey, let's talk about how we optimize the calories that we're getting. What is the source that they're coming from? Until you get to that point, I'm not worried about you spending the extra money on it. But it does make a difference. It does make a difference. I do it. You know, me, Jack, and Gabe, we definitely do more optimizing than our clients do because our typical client is 20 to 25% body fat and 50 pounds overweight. So we're in a much different place with what we need to do for ourselves than our clients need to do. You have to meet people where they're at. And that's where a lot of coaches go wrong is a guy comes in on day one. He's like, we're going to do raw milk, grass-fed dairy, beef testicles, sun your balls, and <laughs> walk barefoot for an hour. Like, they go all in on day one. And I'm like... This guy's 100 pounds overweight, and he's never been to the gym. You could have this guy walk around his neighborhood for a year, and he would lose weight. And that's it. You could have him just step on the scale every single day, and he'd just see it and lose weight because he'd subconsciously just change other things throughout the day. So you don't have to follow the nine ancestral tenets? <laughs> yeah, the tenth one, HGH. You don't have to be liver king? <laughs> yeah, no, Jesus, dude. We could talk about that, too. Just that's pumping Winstrol and getting ab implants? Well, that's a funny one because it's like I don't have a problem with people taking performance-enhancing drugs and stuff as long as you're open about it. Like, I don't care. It's your body, bro. Yeah. Like, do your thing. If you want to do that and subject yourself to that, that's fine because the issue is once you start doing it, my understanding, again, I'm not super well-versed in it, but my understanding of it is most of the time when you take that stuff, you have to continue taking it. So if you want to subject yourself to it, you can, and it's not my business. The problem comes into play with a liver king situation where he's profiting off of the yeah, body, yeah. the physique that he has, and he was dishonest, blatantly lied to people's faces. I don't know if you guys know, like Carnivore MD too, Paul Saladino basically said he lied to my face about it, and I was his business partner. That's where you walk a fine line of like, I don't care if you do it. If you want to do it, go ahead, bro. Just, Just be, be honest, honest about it before Just pushing yeah, $100 million dollars worth of supplements. Right. <laughs> at, at the same time, though, like, who bought that shit? Like, you look at a guy like that, is it even possible to be natural? Well, people have fallen for way simpler shit than that. No, I, I know, say, I a know. A lot of people definitely bought it. It's just crazy. It's just crazy to me. I don't know. Um, it, well, it's it's funny too. I lost my train of thought there for a second. I was like, oh no, we're good. But uh, <laughs> no, it, it's interesting too because oh, there we go. I got it. A lot of people that aren't in fitness and deep into it, they easily fall for it because they don't yeah. know. They don't know what's possible. A guy like me, Jack, and Gabe are really any fitness coach that you know that's been in the game for a while can uh, I can look at a guy and be like yeah he's not 90 and it's funny because we were at a powerlifting gym for a while and a lot of those guys walking around you're like eh, it's kind of sus and then we switched to a bodybuilding gym and I was like oh these guys are on gear yeah, yeah. Like, these guys are juicing like I can look at somebody and tell you with 
pretty good conviction whether or not somebody's juicing. So it's funny because all the fitness coaches that are knowing about the liver king situation, they look at it and they're like, duh, <laughs> like no shit. Yeah. But somebody that doesn't know and isn't in the game, they're probably confused because they think it is possible. And maybe it is. Maybe, maybe there's some people that are a genetic freak and they really do go as hard as him with all that stuff. Maybe it's possible. Maybe. But you have to be such a genetic um, like minority and it's so rare and then you have to be so perfect on top of it. All of the stars have to align and you have to bust your ass and be perfect. And maybe you could get to that point. But it's still very, very unlikely. Yeah, yeah. It's just dangerous too for younger people. So dangerous. It has such a more so profound effect on your endocrine system if you get into that at a young age as opposed to like older when you're like, 40 to 50. So yeah, slippery slope because people will be like, yeah, you know, this guy's doing steroids. I should probably do it too. But like yeah. you listen to like a guy who actually knows a shit like uh, Derek from more Dude, place, more dates. Yeah. He's the man. You're like, oh, okay. Like there is a very much a lot of caution that needs to be taken before ever jumping into Bro, this my stuff. dad used to do arm wrestling professionally and he said like in the- <laughs> Wait, what? Wait, <laughs> yeah, arm wrestling. Yo, what? That's crazy. He like met, he, uh, off topic, but he, he could have been an extra in like Stallone's over the top movie, but he didn't. I don't know why, but um, <laughs> that's so random. Bro. He basically Is that said, why like, your right forearm so big. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, no, he would. Uh, <laughs> I'll wait. Haram. All right, go. Haram. Well, I'm trying to tell a story here. These guys are just subjecting me to, to terrible things. But um, so my dad would go into the hotel room after the event and like the people he would arm wrestle with would basically do like a barter system. Like, oh, I'll give you a shot of that for a shot of this. Like they were so juiced up on steroids. And I'm like, why didn't you ever do it? And he's like, I never felt that the benefit of doing it to win a tournament outweighed the, the negative effects. And he said like a lot of the guys that were over the top juicing had severe, severe health issues later on in life. And you know, he, he came in third in a couple major tournaments, but he never won. And granted, yeah, he probably could have won if he was juicing and participating in all that shit. But he, he said out of it, but he said there was so many people that ended up, you know, heart problems, all that stuff. Well, it's interesting, too, because people have, uh, like, talked about, should we just legalize them in sports? And I actually wrote it when I was in school, when I was in school, when I was in college. Did we all, did you guys drop out, too? No. no. Got a degree. No, we graduated. I'm a scholar, bro. You're a scholar? You guys all graduated? <laughs> I thought you guys all dropped out, too. No. Son no. of a bitch. I'm the uneducated <laughs> Only one, our producer. Yeah, damn. <laughs> hey, Scotty, man. We're in this together, bro. Um, I did write a paper on... I, I argued for why we should legalize PEDs in sports. Um, I argued for it. I just did for the paper. Just it was the the whole assignment was like argue for something that you don't necessarily agree with. Basically, was the tenant. So I argued for it. And obviously, the argument for it would be like performance would improve, people would make more money, it'd be more entertaining, all this stuff. But the reality is, if you legalize PEDs in sports. I guess it's, it's theory still, it's not reality, but this is what I think would happen is if you legalized it, the guys that don't want to subject themselves to it are just automatically at a disadvantage. They're screwed, right? And a sport like grappling is interesting, jujitsu, because it's like the steroid Olympics, like everybody's on juice, it's like the joke, but you still have some freaks that aren't on juice and still do really, really oh good. Oh my God. Another yeah. side note, my, yeah. my dad's brother, my uncle, um, Never took arm wrestling seriously, but he still did it with my dad. And one time, this guy that was juicing top of the world got up there, and my uncle arm wrestled him. Like, I don't know, I think they were out drinking or something. And he put him down with his right. And the guy goes, I'm actually better with my left. And this guy's like world class, like juicing. My uncle's like, all right, fuck it. Puts it up with his left, knocks him down on that side too. <laughs> Bro, and my dad's like, if my uncle, if your, your uncle ever took arm wrestling seriously for a minute instead of like partying his ass off and drinking, he would have been world class. But 
Dude, you gotta pick up this hobby, bro. You, <laughs> start, you could just start hustling people. Yeah, my dad. Bar, he's like bro. the first workout my dad ever showed me. He's like, just do your wrist curls all day. And I'm like, Dude, <laughs> so wait, that's crazy. Yeah. So he's just kinking it. So going back to that point, do you think like the solution would be to have like two separate leagues where you have like UFC of like superheroes where everybody's just <laughs> juiced to the gills versus like the people who don't want to subject themselves to that? It's a good question. I mean, it's a potential solution. It'd be fun right? to watch, man. It'd be oh, a it'd freak be show. Yeah, let's just go start the league. I, what are we I, doing? What are we doing? Yeah, right. here? Just do it. Just make the steroid league. Dude, I honestly, I think the solution is, is what they currently do. Like, I think you just have to make it illegal and you have to test for it and do the best you can. And there's always going to be people that slip, for the, slip through the cracks. And I think honestly... There's probably more athletes that slip through the cracks than we realize. There's, chances oh, are, there's, there's way more guys that are on stuff than being tested positive for it. So I think you have to do your best to regulate it because it's the only way to keep integrity and it's the only way to make it somewhat legitimate for the guys that don't want to subject. Yeah, like McGregor's hundred percent on roids right now. Oh, but right now, fuck yeah. He probably won't get popped. He's for on it. the nine ancestral tenets, bro. <laughs> yeah, dude. But he's out of the testing pool right now. The way it works right. with Usada, so he'll probably figure out like he's got enough money to get it out of his system before. He oh gets yeah, those again. pictures of him are crazy. Yeah, scary, dude. Crazy. Um, but just to wrap, uh, short on time. Uh, this kind of comes full circle because mm -hmm. all these conversations talk about kind of what's wrong in the industry and what right. the dangers are for people that might not be fully educated, which puts you in a really cool position, you, yeah, Gabe, really. and Jack, to really change things and make a positive impact on all the people that you serve. So my question uh, to leave off with is, I guess, like, what is your guys' goal over the next couple of years? Like, bigger thinking goals... Because, again, it sounds like you're in a really unique mm -hmm. position to have a big impact in this space, which will affect so many people. Mm -hmm. Totally, man. I think ultimately for all of us, we've said it before. We, you've seen each and every single one of us tweeted is like we feel morally obligated to share our experiences and share the knowledge that we have because the reality of the world is people are only getting unhealthier. It's not trending up. It's getting worse. Mm. So we would feel immoral if we didn't share our experiences and our knowledge and grow the business as big as we possibly could grow it. Like we would feel immoral if we didn't do that because there's so many people that need help, millions and millions of people, right? And it's getting worse. Like it's getting worse. Is that, is that the end goal is to serve as many people as possible or are you ever interested down the line getting in like the world of elite athletes and working on their mindset like Tim Grover? Are you guys more so focused on the millions? I'd say we're focused on the the general population right like most of our guys are pretty green yeah right like they're pretty new sub three years experience most of them even sub one year experience and it's who we serve well and i don't think there's a reason to stop um you know serving the people who we serve best and i think that's the majority of the people that are in a bad situation is is those people that are super green because it's so hard to navigate man. it's so hard to navigate it's just like business man if you're just starting a business there's so much information out there and like, you could easily go down a wormhole and go oh, to yeah. take advice from the wrong person and you find yourself at square one a year later and you're still scraping trying to figure it out it's the same thing with fitness and so i think those are the people that need the help the most and it's who we serve the best so i think it makes sense for us to keep going down that trajectory now if you want to talk like long long term with like me jack and gabe i mean i would say like there's always the potential to turn it into a thing where maybe there's like a licensing model maybe we move to like a gym launch for fitness coaches at some that'd point. be cool i don't know those yeah. are just ideas that have been talked about at some point but ultimately our plan is so long that that's we haven't even had those discussions because it's like we need to make this as good as humanly possible serve as many people as possible change as many lives as possible and then we can talk about like pivoting at some point in five ten years maybe uh depending on where we're at
sick dude well it's been an honor to have you on because i can guarantee if someone's listening still to this point that they're probably thinking hey i should probably reach out and work with you gabe and jack and learn more about the different techniques that you have to improve their life and, and their health and their lifestyle and everything else that comes with it so the last question is where can they find you where can they follow you and learn more about all the work that you're doing yeah man twitter's the best place to find me it's at joey Yoheim. it's just first name last name there is the y's are both in there so j-o-e-y-y-o-c-h-h-e-i-m um twitter's definitely the best place to find me i'm starting to dabble in the youtube game a little bit yeah. but i definitely wouldn't say start there i'd say start on twitter um and then jack bly my business partner the jack bly and then gabe plugu as my other business partner you can find them both on twitter as well sick thanks for coming on bro appreciate cool. it brother appreciate thank it, brother. you guys